Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is Finsider Radio, part of thefinsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts. Miami Dolphins sit at 6-6 six and six after defeating the Buffalo Bills 21 17 Ryan Tannehill having a so-so game, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But let's just jump right into it, boys. None of this fluff talk to start the show. Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills quarterback, rookie quarterback, put on a phenomenal show against the Dolphins. 18 for 33, 231 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Rushing was where he made his mark the most, nine carries. For 135 yards, carries as the official term. Of course, he didn't carry the ball. He ran with the ball, averaging 15 yards per run. An athletic freak on the field, and lots of Dolphins fans freaking out over the past 24 hours saying, wow, why didn't the Dolphins get Josh Allen? Or just imagine if the Dolphins had Josh Allen. Or just imagine if the Dolphins had a quarterback like Josh Allen. Or just imagine how the Buffalo Bills are set up for the future while the Miami Dolphins are drowning, treading water with Ryan Tannehill. And just imagine if they had a quarterback who had the arm strength of Josh Allen. And I'm here to tell you, and I know you both disagree. Well, maybe not you, Sutton, but I know how to definitely disagree. Relax on Josh Allen, guys. Relax. History shows, and history has not been kind to any rushing quarterback. It has not been kind to any of them. Eventually, you need to learn how to sit in the pocket and throw. And when Josh Allen has a sit in the pocket and throw, it is bad news. We're going to go all the way back to his time 
at Wyoming in 2016 when he was a uh, quarterback, starting quarterback for the team. His completion percentage was 56%. In 2017, his completion percentage was 56.3%. This year in Buffalo, his completion percentage is 52.9%. Do you see a trend here? 52.9%, to put it in context, is the worst in the NFL. The worst. Right behind him is Josh Rosen at 54.2. Right behind him is Sam Darnold at 55. Josh Allen's quarterback rating is 66.3. That is the second worst in the NFL. Rosen and Darnold are behind him. Josh McCown is worse. Josh Allen is not what everyone is making him out to be. And yes, he may get better as it goes on. And how you can jump in it anytime and just throw me under the bus right now because I know you're chomping at the bit. But for me, he's going to get better, but I think we all need to relax a bit. You cannot fix accuracy in the NFL. All right, let me jump into this. Let me just say that heading into last week's podcast, I was the first one to admit that I was not a fan of Josh Allen. We all admitted we were not fans of Josh Allen throughout the draft process. And for me personally, uh, that changed a bit on Sunday. You can name off, you know, his passer rating, his yards on the ground, through the air. But what he did throughout the game, I mean, made me a believer. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the greatest quarterback in this class because I would say Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Darnold, they're right there, three guys who I would take over at Josh Allen. But when you look at that offense, the weapons around him, he has Zay Jones. He has Zay Jones. That's about it. Kelvin Benjamin, that dude's a cheeseburger walrus. He He's terrible. He's pretty much a tight end. He should be a left tackle. Andre Holmes, Deontay Thompson, they got these players that no one's ever heard of. That is one of the worst offenses in the NFL. So when you name off these stats, the completion percentage, I get it because they just have no one. They have no offensive weapons. But for me, it comes down to what can Josh Allen be? And I got crucified on Twitter again for going out there. And, you know, I said Ryan Tannehill, he's 31 years old. It took seven seasons to see what Ryan Tannehill is. And people are out here bashing Josh Allen after seven starts in the NFL. Again, I was not high on him coming out of this draft class. Maybe that's why I thought he had potential and and saw something in him yesterday. But for me, I, I would much rather have Buffalo's future at quarterback than Ryan Tannehill because at the end of the day, we all know what Ryan Tannehill is. He's an above-average quarterback. He's not going to get better than what we saw on Sunday. He had, what, three touchdowns, uh, less passing yards, I believe, than Josh Allen had on the ground. So, I mean, Ryan Tannehill is what he is. He's an above-average quarterback that's going to go out there and win you eight, nine games a season. Going to be hurt for another three or four. But for me, it comes down to potential. And I see potential in Josh Allen. It burns me inside to sit here and go out on a limb for a Buffalo Bills player because that is the worst fan base in the NFL. I absolutely hate the Buffalo Bills. I will never go back to that stadium because they are trash. Everything about that franchise is trash. But when you look at what Josh Allen is and what he has the potential to be, I mean, we can all sit here and talk about his arm. There's not a stronger arm in the NFL, you could argue, than Josh Allen. Uh, We saw what he could do on the ground. Uh, he's not going to be able to continue to do that because, again, defenses don't have a Kiko Alonso. They don't have a Ray Kwan McMillan. They don't have defensive ends that look lost at times. So he's not going to continue to do that on the ground. And if he does, he's going to end up in a body bag, uh, you know, like Marcus Mariota did earlier in the year. Taylor Lewan, like those guys ended up in body bags. But for me, I saw enough potential. I saw the strong arm. I saw him move around the pocket better than I ever have seen Ryan Taylor move around the pocket. But what it comes down to is accuracy, and that's the biggest flaw in Josh Allen's game. That's something that he was uh, pretty much 
destroyed for and kind of why his draft value started to fall in his year before he came out. I think 2016 was arguably the number one quarterback in college football and everyone was hyping him up. And then he had that off season in 2017, which ended up leading to him coming out and being drafted by the Buffalo Bills. But his accuracy is definitely an issue. You saw it time and time again, even on that Charles Clay pass. I mean, he rushed around, he looked like Brett Favre running around and then he just threw up this duck and it came short of Charles Clay. Charles Clay should have caught it, but that was a bad throw in football. So I see potential in Josh Allen. My only argument is that you have this young guy at 22 years old who you do not know what his ceiling is. And then you have Ryan Tannehill, who you absolutely have all the all the evidence of what he can become. So that's the only reason I went out there and said I think Buffalo is a better uh, quarterback for the future because Ryan Tannehill is not the future. Uh, it is what it is. The verdict's still out on Josh Allen. And as a Dolphins fan, let's just hope he turns into a Ryan Tannehill. Let's just hope he's the next you know, Matt Moore or some guy that's just going to be a career backup like Brock Osweiler. That is what we hope Josh Allen becomes. But for me, what he showed on Sunday – leads me to believe that he can be, you know, a top 15 quarterback and lead the Bills to a playoff victory sooner than later. I believe somewhere in the expose, Josh Houts just dropped the term cheeseburger walrus just for everybody at home. But anyway, you know, you look at Josh Allen, he had an elite grade on Pro Football Focus. I believe he had the number one grade this week, which when I looked at the game, I, I was a little bit befuddled by that. But anyway, you know, he set some kind of rookie record for rushing yards in a two-game span. So I do want to give him some credit on that aspect. But if you're propping up Josh Allen based on what the Dolphins' long-term quarterback projection is, every quarterback in the NFL is going to look good because we have one of the worst long-term quarterback issues in the National Football League, maybe just next to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm not sure that that makes Josh Allen look any better to me. And yes, he had the rushing yards. And that was honestly something that I did not expect him to be so prolific at early in his career. So kudos to him. But I do agree with Matthew that I think that's something that defensive coordinators are going to figure out pretty quickly and that's one of those things the running game and those pocket tendencies I feel like those are one of those things that defensive coordinators once they get enough tape on them really start to understand and I do think he's entering this unspoken amount of games that defensive coordinators have enough tape where they kind of know what's what's going on now so I think they're going to be able to game plan a little bit better better and, and long story short Josh Allen's going to have to make his name for this league passing the football. And I just would be curious what the narrative would be if Lamar Jackson misses that throw on Sunday and not Josh Allen. I think Lamar Jackson would be crucified right now for not being able to make that throw. And Josh Allen is getting the, the benefit of the doubt just because he throws a few lasers that are still off target. And, you know, you, you mentioned the accuracy, you know, 54 and a half percent is just not going to get it done. And if you even look at this Miami game and you give him his adjusted completion percentage, which looked to be at 65 and a half percent, that would still put him at number 22 in the NFL without giving any other NFL quarterback the benefit of the doubt of giving him credit for a drop pass. That's just, I just don't, see it guys like the, the media is crushing on him a little bit and yes he did extend some plays and and made some good plays but 
I just don't see it, guys. I, I don't see his game translating on a long-term level. I get it, House. I, I get what you're saying with hope, right? And before I get into that rant, before we move on off this Josh Allen subject, because the story will be written one way or the other, whether we like it or not, and we're going to see Josh Allen twice a year for many years to come. I was impressed by him. I'm not going to sit here and deny that I was impressed. I was very impressed. The kid is an athletic freak. He is big. He is hard to take down. He moves very well, and he has some moves on him as well. He's a rookie quarterback. He's going to run free like that in the open field. But it wasn't just the last pass of the game to Charles Clay where he severely underthrew it. He also overthrew guys throughout the game that could have led to big first downs, that could have led to touchdowns, and some would have actually been touchdown passes. Let's face it, the Miami Dolphins should have lost that game against the Buffalo Bills. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They should have lost that game. And against a more accurate quarterback, they would have lost that game. And that's some cause for concern. But at the end of the day, it's a divisional game, and you take the win when you can get it. If you need an example, just look at Jaguars versus Colts. Jaguars, after struggling for so many weeks, after the Colts being on fire for so many weeks, couldn't even put points on the board. Divisional games are different beasts. And that's why the Dolphins versus Patriots is coming Sunday. It's going to be a different beast. And we'll have an episode later on in the week. But I get what you're saying, Houts, with hope. Because our country is built on hope. Politicians sell us hope all the time. We vote people into office based on hope. We do things based on hope. And when you say that you'd rather be in the situation with Buffalo, having hope of a new quarterback rather than knowing what you already have, absolutely, I can get behind that 125%. And if you were to tell me you can have Josh Allen or Ryan Tannehill today, knowing what I know about Ryan Tannehill, I'd probably pick Josh Allen too. But long-term, what I think, and in my heart, and obviously way too soon to judge anyone after seven or eight games or whatever he's played so far this season. But I just think that it's very hard to fix accuracy issues in your career. And it's just been a pattern since college for the past three years, and it has not improved at all. Let me just say one thing. In order for the Dolphins to have Josh Allen, they would have had to give up Minka Fitzpatrick and probably Mike Jasicki. Now, Mike Jasicki, he's a rookie tight end. He's struggling to translate to the NFL game. But in no world would any of us want to go Minka Fitzpatrick for Josh Allen. I mean, you can sit here and base on potential on what he may become, but Minka Fitzpatrick is a star no matter where he plays, you know, safety, nickel, outside on the boundary like he's been. He is an absolute stud, and there's no quarterback other than uh, Baker Mayfield that I would prefer over Minka Fitzpatrick. So the Dolphins absolutely did the right thing. Uh, no matter how well you think Josh Allen may become or, you know, the potential's there, Minka Fitzpatrick is a superstar, and the Dolphins got the right player in Minka Fitzpatrick. You're right, and Minka is going to be a lockdown corner with Xavier Howard for years to come. And like we talked about in other shows, when you talk about Josh Allen and, and Josh Rosen and other guys, we said that the Dolphins' saving grace is that they got Minka Fitzpatrick. And I love Minka. And it, let's go back to that question I just said. If you had to tell me, Josh Allen or Ryan Tannehill right now, I'd say Josh Allen. But if you told me Josh Allen or Minka Fitzpatrick, I'd say Minka Fitzpatrick. And I, I did want to talk about Adam Gase and his love for Josh Allen and how CBS said on the broadcast that Adam Gase had told him during production meetings that had Josh Allen been available in the draft room, it would have been a very interesting decision 
as to what would have happened. But I think that will take up another 15, 20 minutes, and I don't want to get into that in that this episode. We'll save that for another episode. But what I do want to talk about is the quarterback on the other side of the field and Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill, since coming back from his uh, shoulder capsule injury, has thrown five touchdowns and one interception. He's played efficient football. His quarterback rating right now is 14th of 36 in the NFL. His quarterback rating right now is 98.4. And obviously, quarterback rating doesn't tell the the whole story. He has 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. Again, playing very efficient football, not taking a ton of risks down the field, did throw a beautiful dime to Kenny Stills. And, And this is where you get so frustrated with Ryan Tannehill because you see times where he makes those throws to Kenny Stills, and you're like, holy crap. What a throw. And I know people are hating on that throw and saying, oh, he threw into double coverage, but there was a throw they worked on all week, and he trusted Kenny Stills to go up and get it, and he threw it in the spot where only Kenny Stills could get it. That was an elite quarterback throw. Ryan Tannehill is not an elite quarterback. Don't get twisted there. Because then you get frustrated when there's pressure coming right into his face, and he just stands there and doesn't get rid of it in time. And he's throwing as he's hit, and the ball just flails all over the place. And uh, we, we've been experiencing this roller coaster for the past seven years. So I don't know what to make of it. And I saw people on Twitter saying, I'd love to see Ryan Tannehill with a healthy offensive line. I'd love to see Ryan Tannehill without any injuries. But the reality is, folks, it's the NFL. You're never going to have a perfect offensive line unless you have a miracle. You're never going to have a perfectly healthy team. Even with a miracle, you'll never have a perfectly healthy team. And the best quarterbacks find a way to adjust. And Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback who needs to have everything around him succeed and be successful for him to rise to the top. I don't want to get into a big debate on Ryan Tannehill because we've done that enough and we're going to do that enough in the offseason. But I just do want to talk about how he's come back from this injury should have beat the Colts, the defense, and Adam Gase, and whatever happened there. But one and one since coming back from the injury has a chance to go two and one against the Patriots. Sutton, your thoughts on Ryan Tannehill in the last two games? As worried as I was about him coming back from that shoulder capsule injury, you know, I'm really reluctant to say that he's been the issue with what's been going on with us since he's got back. You know, you look at his touchdown passes. You know, five touchdowns, one interception. So on paper, that looks pretty good. When you look at each of those touchdown throws, and so let's separate the touchdown throws from all the rest of the throws, because trust me, there are a ton of ton of other throws other than these touchdown passes. But when you're looking at the five of those touchdown passes, you know, the the Devontae Parker and the Kenny Stills touchdown passes in those Buffalo games were both good balls in my opinion. Now the the Kenny Stills throw, I think, is a little bit controversial when you look at the tape, whether that was a good throw or not. At first, it seemed like a little bit of a f- floating duck, but it was in a good space, and only our player was able to make a play on it. So the, that's the definition of a good ball. So I, I give him credit for that being a good ball. The other three touchdowns, two of them were pretty easy throws to Kenyon Drake, and then the other one was – Leonte Carew, Mawson, and Flossen in that Colts game. So that was that 
that gets us at that five touchdown barometer. But some of the other throws have been a little bit less than desirable. And, you know, when you look at Ryan Tannehill, it's like any other game, any other, any other player as a fan, it depends on whether you look at football on a play-to-play basis, on a game-to-game basis, or a season-to-season basis. And one of the frustrating things for people who watch tape and have been a Dolphins fan for a while and watched Ryan Tannehill is the play-to-play basis and how erratic certain outcomes can be with Ryan Tannehill. And that's what you've seen so far when he's come back. Again, not the reason for any downfalls or anything, but still not the long-term answer. So, like I said, we'll have conversations in several weeks about Ryan Tannehill once this season is over, and we will see how it can go from there. But we're not going to get into a huge debate. I do want to jump back to the game here and and continue with the game, actually, and talk about the state of the offense and the defense following their victory over the Bills. The Miami Dolphins came off very strong in the um, first drive and scored a touchdown. And then from there, they struggled. And um, at one point, going to the fourth quarter, they had only had 17 total offensive yards in the second half. And and that's not winning football. And I know people can get blinded by wins and and everything else, but I think it's our job to be realistic and and talk about all the warts and everything else in a win. And I know Adam Gase said after the game that they'll take the win and they'll fix what they need to fix. And absolutely, a win is is much better than a loss. And a win is much easier to correct issues than it is when you have a loss. But the fact of the matter is the Dolphins have a lot to clean up. And when you look at the coach's film, and this is what's um, frustrating for me, because when you look at the coach's film, a lot of people give Adam Gase crap about his play calling. His play calling is not bad. His play calling is actually pretty good for the most part. There's some duds in there, absolutely, and no player caller is perfect. But a lot of it is more execution on the player's part than it is on actually Adam Gase calling bad plays. And he's just a scapegoat right now. And he's an even bigger scapegoat because people are done with him at this point or close to being done with him. So, you know, it's like when you're at the end of a relationship, you just get annoyed at every little thing that person does until you finally break it off. And I think that's where some fans are right now. So he's the easy one to blame. But his play calls are good. The offensive line's execution is poor at times. The wide receiver's execution is poor at times. It's something different on every play, and it's hard to get this team, this offense, to play consistently at the same level and to execute fully. We do see it from time to time, and that's when the Dolphins look crisp and efficient. But when you don't see it, you know stuff is breaking down. Your biggest takeaway Sutton of the offense against the Buffalo Bills. Mike Gazicki still struggling to find anything going in the passing game. Kenny Stills had a pretty good game, decent game. Devontae Parker found the end zone. Isaiah Ford and Bryce Butler were quiet for the most part, although Bryce Butler pulled in a few catches. But this offense needs more from its playmakers, and it's hard when you don't have Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola in there, and your full arsenal is not available to you. But also at the running back position, on the flip side, you do have Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake who continue to make a fabulous one-two punch. Your thoughts on the offense? 
the one thing I can't unsee about this Dolphin offense is we just don't have that thing we can hang our hat on. We don't have an identity, and we see it game in and game out. And this is a game where you have 175 total yards. I mean, 20, 27 minutes of time of possession and only one turnover. We we had that one possession where we got really good field position because of the muff punt by Buffalo. But I, I just, I'm just not sure what's going on on offense, and I just feel like we should have something more clear at this point in Gase's third year. I don't care who's playing, honestly. It should be part of the culture by now. It should be absorbed by anybody that goes into the facility. So the fact that we're seeing such disconnected offenses week in and week out, that's what makes me really nervous. And I just don't see any continuity in these schemes and game to game. I just I just don't see any identity and that makes me nervous. So I'm just still not real high on this offense. The Miami Dolphins offense, like you mentioned, a total of 175 yards compared to the Buffalo Bills, 415 yards of total offense. And that's a testament to the Dolphins defense in terms of just how inefficient they are. But when it comes to turnovers, they're one of the best in the league. And it just does not make sense. The Dolphins forcing Three turnovers against the Buffalo Bills. One fumble, two interceptions. Xavier Howard with those two picks. That man is going to make a lot of money. We're going to talk about Xavier Howard in just a little bit. But they continue to give up lots of rushing yards. Passing yards, Bills, 217. 18 of 33, 6.2 yards per pass. Only two sacks on the day. Their defensive line, which was supposed to be a strength coming into this season, has not lived up to its hype and potential. 198 rushing yards for the Bills, 31 attempts, 6.4 yards per rush. I mean, when teams are getting six point something yards per play, that is not healthy. Lots of penalties in yesterday's game against the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills holding that ball for 32 minutes, 57 seconds compared to the Dolphins, 27.03. But going back to the defense as a whole, right? I mean, the secondary, you have a lot to build on there. You got Xavier Howard. You got Minka Fitzpatrick. You got Bobby McCain. Three young corners who are going to do big things for this defense. Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald. Probably keep Rashad Jones another year. TJ McDonald might be on the way out. Get a young safety back there. And you build around those guys, and then you come up front, and you build around Jerome Baker and even Raquan McMillan. And I and for all the crap that Kiko gets, I, I don't think he's as awful as people make him out to be. Yes, he misplays a lot of plays. He tries to do too much. Yesterday, he got spun around by Josh Allen several times, but I don't think he's as bad as people make him out to be. He's made quite a few game-changing plays in his years here in Miami. What I don't like what the Dolphins did against Josh Allen, and I think they'll fix this when they play him again in Buffalo, is I thought that it'd be more realistic for Jerome Baker to spy on uh, Josh Allen. And I can understand why they had Kiko do it. One, Kiko is fast. He's not as fast as Baker, but Kiko's probably a bit stronger than Baker in terms of trying to get the quarterback down and a big, bigger guy down. Kiko probably has better um, you know, techniques in terms of the veteran presence that he brings to the Dolphins. But Kiko, again, tried too much, trying to chase and spy Josh Allen, was out of position quite a few times, trying to 
chase the play that he thought was happening instead of the play was actually happening. And so the Dolphins got burned on that quite a few times. And so it is something I hope that they fix moving forward as they go to Buffalo. The defensive line, Cameron Wake, continues to be a presence out there. What I found really interesting was that Andre Branch got more snaps than Wake, which is not okay. Andre Branch has not lived up to the contract, not even close to the one he signed two years ago, and this will be his last year in Miami. Charles Harris still not doing anything productive. Robert Quinn, he's he's good. He's not worth $10 million, but he's good. Um, you know, him and Wade coming off on that edge, they're good. But, you know, setting the edge and and actually bringing the quarterback down with Akeem Spence in the middle is tough for these guys. And, uh, you know, Josh Allen, they've had trouble with scrambling quarterbacks all season long. They get a break with Tom Brady, and I say break very lightly because he can gash them in the pocket. But in terms of a mobile quarterback or a guy that's going to be a moving target, Tom Brady is not. So the Dolphins will, you know, have a fixed target on Sunday versus the Patriots. But Sutton, as you look at the Dolphins' defense and kind of building off what I just said, Matt Burke, you know, is it him or is it the players' lack of execution or is it a little bit of both? It's a really great question, something I've been thinking about. And just think about this for a second. I mean, how do you resolve a defense that's number three in the NFL in takeaways and yet 29th in yards given up and some of just the gap integrity issues, the blown assignments in the secondary. I really honestly just don't know if it's – and maybe I'll just throw this right back to you, Matthew, because I'm, I'm having trouble honestly just thinking this one through. But, I mean, is it because we're too aggressive and that's the reason that we're able to make the plays and yet giving them up in such abundance? Or is it just – we have some really good players, just they're just not being coached very well. Which scenario do you think is more likely? I don't know either because I would love to tell you that I know, but the Dolphins at the end of the day are ranked 29th in the NFL in total defense, but their turnovers are insane. And I know they spent a large portion of camp on this and a large emphasis on it. So, you know, that leads me and just thinking out loud and just coming to these conclusions here as we talk, that leads me to believe it's Matt Burke. I mean, he has a talent, right? It's not like he has a depleted defense. Do I do think the defense needs to be real built a bit? Yes, especially up front. But I think if you had a coordinator who had a better feel for the game, had a better feel for talent, and a better feel for how to best put his players in position to succeed, I think this defense, not, not dominant, but I think it could be in the middle of the pack in the NFL. At least, at least middle of the pack. If we're middle of the pack yardage wise and scoring wise, don't you yeah. think with those amount of turnovers that we have? I mean, guys, we're it's like we're 75 percent more likely to win a game even just with plus one in the turnover differential, and we're not able to, you know, catalyze these turnovers into wins, which was really frustrating, especially in that Indianapolis game. I just I, I don't know how we're able to make those types of plays and then just not be able to play base defense seemingly sometimes. If the defense was better, they'd beat the Bengals and they'd beat the Colts. And this Miami Dolphins team would be what? Eight and eight and four right now? Eight Yes, sir. Eight and four right now. Eight and four. Isn't that depressing? 
That's depressing. But a big reason why the Dolphins are still in these games because of their defense is Xavier Howard. And that man is going to cost a lot of money when his contract expires. But the Dolphins, if they were smart, would not let his contract expire because he's only going to get better and better from here. Houts, you love Xavier Howard. What are your thoughts on him? We all know the Dolphins are going to do what they can to re-sign him. He should stay in Miami for the foreseeable future. How has he impacted the game as a shutdown corner after so many called him a bust his first two years in the NFL? Yeah, I got to be honest. I think it was Sutton that was the most high on him and didn't kind of give him up, give up on him after those first two seasons. I think the two of us were a little bit down on Xavier Howard, but what we've seen from him these last two years, mainly towards the end of last season and just throughout the entire 2018 campaign, I mean, it's just nothing short of a shutdown corner. I mean, he's a fringe top five defensive back in the NFL, 35 tackles on the year, seven interceptions, now leading the league in, in takeaways. I mean, he's impressive, and he's that guy that can just line up across from a number one receiver and just completely erase them from the game. So it's it's going to cost the Dolphins a fortune to re-sign him. We've seen it in the past. They've been reluctant to bring back their own guys, you know, Olivier Vernon, Lamar Miller, Jarvis Landry, but none of those players equate to the type of talent that Xavier Howard is. I think he's a guy that the Dolphins have to find a way at 25 years old to give him whatever it is that he's asking for. I mean, I know that's crazy to say, but you're going to make these cap casualties. You're going to get rid of a Andre Branch, maybe. Ryan Tannehill's, you know, he's on the fringe. There's different players and different ways that you can make room for cash, and you need to just find a way, much like Laramie Tunsil, you need to find a way to lock down Xavier Howard because right now I'd be hard-pressed to find a better defensive back in the league than he is. Two interceptions this week. You know, he had two interceptions last week against Andrew Luck. Too earlier in the year, I mean, what he's done is just so impressive, and he completely, again, erases what the other offense wants to do as far as going through that number one wide receiver. His breakout game was against Tom Brady last year. They wore those throwbacks. I believe they're going to be wearing those throwbacks again this week against Tom Brady. Let's hope he goes out there and gets two more. Xavier Howard, lock him up. Scrooge McDuck him, give him whatever money he wants, blank check. I think we all remember that kid, that movie when we were children. You know, they, the kid got that blank check, and – just pretty much got to buy whatever he wanted. Give Xavier Howard a blank check. Let him do what he does. He, him and Minka Fitzpatrick, that's the future of the Miami Dolphins secondary. Should we pay him? Yes, because it's one of the most important positions in football. And in my opinion, cornerback is only going to get more expensive across the NFL because, and we're seeing it now, how difficult the defensive ends job is now with some of these with some of these um, some of these rule shifts and some of these uh, points of emphasis, I can see where defensive ends become even more difficult getting into the quarterback. So naturally, it's going to make the cornerback position because of how important shutting down the pass is. It's going to naturally shift to corner, and you're going to see them get paid more. And I think we get ahead of that curve. And I think it'd be smart to pay him now. With that being said, I'm not sure that we actually pay him. I think he's a no-brainer for the fifth-year option from his rookie contract. What remains to be seen is whether we have to franchise him or not. So hopefully, like I said, we get ahead of this curve and we resign him earlier. I'm just not sure that we actually do that, and we may be facing a franchise tender later on. 
mean, at the end of the day, franchise tag isn't the worst idea, but this team has been burned by their inability to close deals before the market is set too high. They did it with Olivia Vernon. They did it with Lamar Miller. And I just hope they're not doing it again with Xavier Howard. I mean, they're, they're coming out and they're not saying that he's elite because that's a bargaining chip for his agent, but it is what it is. The dude is elite. And yes, Houts, I was one of them who gave up on him after a year and a half, I was done with him. I called him a bust. And it, it was, I think, the game against the Patriots last season where it just clicked for him. And ever since then, he has been a shutdown corner and elite. Now, if you could lock him up and pair him up with Minka outside, who said after the game in the locker room on Sunday that he wants to stay on the outside, where he played 100% of the snaps against the Bills on the outside. And then you got Bobby McCain in the slot. That's going to be one lockdown secondary that opposing quarterbacks are not going to want to face for years to come. Any last thoughts? How do you have any last thoughts on Ryan Tannehill before we wrap up the show? Yeah, for me, I mean, I've been pretty hard on the man and what he's done since he came back from that shoulder injury has been pretty impressive. They didn't get the job done against Indy five touchdowns, one interception. You know, he only had what 130 plus yards this week against, uh, you know, what they did out there. It, it is what it is. He, he went out there, he beat Buffalo. They're one-on-one since his return. They're still in the playoff hunt, 6-6. Six and six. Ryan Tannehill is an above-average quarterback. We know what he is now, but, you know, he got, he's makes some impressive throws, and we always talk about this. He makes some of those big-time throws, those throws that you see the elite quarterbacks make, and then he comes back and he just stands in the pocket like a Statue of Liberty for four or five seconds and almost takes the safety. So it's frustrating. He's the guy that we all know he is. I think he'll be back in 2019, but it's nice to see him go out there. And uh, these last four, these last few games are going to have a lot of say on what Ryan Tannehill is as far as the Dolphins quarterback of the future and whether or not they immediately bring in a quarterback to compete with him. Son, any last thoughts from you? Now that I love you guys and I hope, uh, you know, the, the pro football network that we had a shameless plug last week. I hope people can jump on board. If you're looking for writing or podcasting, send me a DM. Let's get after it. <laughs> Profootballnetwork.com coming to you December 29th, 2018. Follow them on Twitter at PFN365. I say them like it's someone else. It's all three of us. But again, we are not leaving Finsider Radio. We're not leaving the Finsider.com. Stay tuned to those two th- platforms, Finsider Radio and the Finsider.com, for all of our Miami Dolphins takes. We'll be covering the entire NFL on the ProFootballNetwork.com. So there you have it for the Buffalo Bills recap episode. We'll be back later in the week with our preview against the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots historically have played very bad down in Miami. We all know what's coming, right? The Dolphins will beat the Patriots. They'll go on to win their next two, only to lose in the final seconds against the Buffalo Bills in the playoff spot on the line. That'll be so Dolphins, right, boys? It's just how it happens. Almost every time the Dolphins are so close, yet so far away. Yep. I also want to thank Jordan Phillips for his unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. We, we didn't talk a ton about him because, honestly, he doesn't deserve our breath. He's a turd. Uh, he, he's, he needs to sit down, shut up, and not really talk ever again about the Miami Dolphins because – he made no impact except only to help the Dolphins. We could make him go away like Miko if we want to. We could. We did not. The go snap away. of our fingers. He'll, he'll be gone. Her account is still suspended, by the way, courtesy of, drumroll please, Finsider Radio. More specifically, Joshua Houts. It was a group effort. She sucks.
<laughs> that's going to do it for us here on Finsider Radio. For Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from zero to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.